I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This season, we're talking about Asian American sci fi. If you look at the history of Asian American cinema, there are a lot of like sci fi ish things, right? They are all working through some things that we associate with sci fi, whether it's like technology or robots. <laughs> yeah, and we're an Asian American pop culture history podcast, so we're trying to trace everything back. And this one is actually about superheroes. Yeah, right. And I think we were just talking about how like our superhero movies, sci-fi films. I, I don't know the answer to that. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it really matters if categorically it is or not. I'm sure there's a Reddit page that can answer this question for us. I think as soon as we started, as soon as we decided to do a season on Asian American sci-fi, we thought about a lot of Asian Americans in Hollywood science fiction films, whether it was TV shows like Star Trek or Marvel movies, right? And we're looking at the films that have been created by Asian Americans. These are all independent films. I think when we were putting it together, we did think of other examples. So for instance, like one other film I thought about was The Crow. Mm. Um, the Alex Proyas film starring Brandon Lee, also kind of from the comic book world. And then there's obviously like Shang-Chi. And then, of course, Everything Everywhere All at Once by the Daniels, the Michelle Yeoh film that is currently the talk of, of much of Asian America. Outside of Asian America, too. R rightly so. But yeah, we often think about superhero movies as maybe like a mutation of technology, characters who use technology in certain ways, like Batman. It's just powers, having powers. Having right? powers, because having powers is partly about like, how do we wield technology? But having powers allegorically is so resonant for groups that are often marginalized and are not cast in positions of, of having power. Yeah, and I think there's an element of defying nature, right? Slash reality. Yeah, <laughs> nature slash reality. Superhero movies really trade on like the what ifness, right? Like what if we lived in a different kind of world where this is possible? Yeah, and that's really what the season is about, alternate realities. It was once written that in the midst of human rage and brutality, a hero shall rise from the ashes and restore justice and equality among all. Man, whoever wrote that must have been tripping, because Injustice is still kicking ass. Today we're talking about two films by Patricio Genelza, Lumpia from 2003 and its sequel, Lumpia with a Vengeance in 2020. And I mean, we're just talking about Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is by the Daniels, who are known for directing music videos. And Daniel Kwan of the Daniels recently tweeted about how filmmakers are often admired for their minimalism and how he's only recently embraced the fact that he's a maximalist filmmaker. And I feel like this is related because Patricio Janelza is also a music video director. That's his background. And I feel like the Lumpia films are also an example of the maximalist creativity of what's possible when music video directors direct feature films. And it doesn't always work, but when it does, it's really, really fun. 
Yeah, with both Lumpia and Lumpia the Vengeance, Patricio Janelle says, having fun with all of the tools. In a way that like music video directors are sometimes unlocked. Like, it's sort of like, I don't have to just shoot a realist scene. I want to have weird effects all over the place. I want to have titles on the screen. I want people to be a little goofy, tongue-in-cheek, like a little winking at the camera. All of that is happening. Right? <laughs> yeah, so let's tell people what <laughs> this movie is. So Patricio Janelle and his friends are from Daly City, California. Uh, a city that's, from what I've read, is 30% Filipino. He and his friends, like, they loved movies. They would get their camcorders and make films all the time. Every summer, they would make a movie. They were starting to make this Lumpia superhero-type movie. Plot-wise, it's sort of a showdown between the quote-unquote fobs. The Filipinos who moved to the United States more recently, they have accents. They dress differently than the Americanized Filipinos that don't speak with a Filipino accent that dress in kind of like cool 90s clothes. Like there's so many brands in this movie. It's like a lot of like Champion and Jordache and Nautica and stuff. And yeah, and like, like NBA jerseys. <laughs> um, and so yeah, showdown between these two cultures within the Filipino American community in Daly City. And the like Americanized kids are always bullying the FOB kids. What do you guys want? Just leave us alone, okay? Just remember, I know where you live, blood. Except the recent immigrants are saved by Lumpia Man. Lumpia Man is this kid who doesn't say a word. He's silent. He speaks instead by throwing Lumpia at you. So through like flinging Lumpia, he can shut people up and fight for justice. I mean, I love this idea of like Lumpia for justice. <laughs> and so he, if, if anybody has a superpower, it's him. And then somehow his participation in all this is going to lead these new immigrants to feel assured in their identity. It's so good because it's as ridiculous as it sounds. He'll um, throw the lumpia at people, flinging lumpia like ninja stars. It'll get stuck in their mouths. And the special effects are as you think they are. Right? This was like... shot with like no money, I think. Some of it was shot all the way in 1996-ish when he was actually in high school. The appeal of the first movie is that it feels like your high school friends making a movie together. I was reading an interview with him where he was saying like he would literally like just feed them the lines before they said it. And it's cute because it's just, you know, like it's scrappy in a good way. And I think because of the DIY-ness of it, it becomes a nice time capsule of the mid to late 90s. Yeah. In terms of like, yeah, the kinds of music that's sort of like new wavy, but also like Phil M, R&B. Yeah, yeah. You get a glimpse of like the Filipino DJ cult, like the house party culture. And then there's like <laughs> amazing karaoke scene. It's funny because it's like that predates his career as a music video director, but in Lumpia, you see them making this like karaoke video that's basically them singing I'm so excited but they film it in a Kmart. And they change the <laughs> lyrics up. I don't know if it's as sort of like a joke that they don't understand the English language or if it's like a we're getting around copyright situation. Yeah. <laughs> but also like as, as a way of like making fun of karaoke videos that sometimes have the wrong lyrics. And the karaoke videos that often have really low budget video in the background because they can't use the actual music video. <laughs> This movie has everything in it, right? And as a resume item, it can show like his range, like, his maximalist karaoke music. It's like a gangster movie. It's got martial arts in it. And it's very much a comic book movie. People are in like these little cells. It's as if you're looking at a comic book. As you're learning about the characters, zoom to a comic book panel. A lot of like sound effects in this movie. Like, yeah. like, 
boings and bangs and stuff like that. And of course, like the the best is like the the Olympia Crunch. Whip out Olympia, bite in, you'll hear the crunch. So yeah, so you can see like he's using the superhero format in order to take real pleasure in a kind of ethnic identity, and this is like a very self-consciously like hyper Filipino American movie. Yeah, and you could see how this would be a, a kind of a cult film amongst like Filipino Americans who watched it and think like that's like the first movie that's kind of that's doing this. Well, I should say it's not the first. And there's an important other movie that's happening between 1996 when they first started shooting this, and then 2003 when it came out. And that is the debut. The debut is this 2000 film directed by Gene Cahayon, and it was the first Filipino American film to be released commercially all around the country, like in theaters. And that was the movie that made a star out of like Dante Bosco and Joey Bisco. And well, Dante、um, was already Rufio. This kind of turned him into a like leading man, right? Leading, yeah, and associated him with like Asian American filmmaking. But it also proved that there is a national audience for explicitly Filipino American film. So Patricio Genosa was an intern on the debut. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. And so I think he saw the kind of success you can have by taking it on the road and doing not just the film yourself, but also distribution yourself. And so he's like, "All right, let's finish Lumpia and, and let's <laughs> try to replicate that success." And I would say, like, not to the heights of the debut. But Olympia was probably the next one for many years, the other Filipino American film that people in the community would have known about. It had developed enough of a cult following that they had been thinking about revisiting it,、um, and it didn't happen until twenty years later. So they launched this Kickstarter campaign. I feel like a lot of times people will launch crowdfunding campaigns not only to raise money but also to test the audience, right? To see if people are excited about this or not. And so they basically like rallied the community again to try to see, like, oh, do do people want to see a sequel to this? It affirmed that there was a generation of Filipino Americans who was nostalgic for the original Olympia. Yeah, yeah. The way that like any kind of franchise, like let's just reboot Ghostbusters or something, because we have a generation that is nostalgic for it. I just love that in Filipino American cinema or Asian American cinema, there is a movie that we are nostalgic for, and that that's kind of what we're trying to do with this podcast, right? Like let's be nostalgic about all these movies. But Lumpia didn't need a podcast; like that was still in people's minds because it's so so special. Yeah, and I think.、Um... It's kind of like this idea of like getting the gang back together, right? It's so cool to be able to see this group of kids from high school, basically, and then now in Lupia with a Vengeance, the way the story is propelled forward is that you know the main couple are married and they had a kid in high school, a daughter named Rachel, who basically becomes the new star of the film. So it's like passing the baton to the next generation too, and then you also see like what happens to all of his friends—not only the fob crew or whatever, but also the bullies. But then you throw in some trained actors in there too, <laughs> <laughs> like Danny Trejo is in there. <laughs> From that DIY like zero budget film to a polished. I mean, like it's still kind of DIY, but it's still it's like it's an indie film with special effects and and B list stars, and a lot of cameos. Probably looks more expensive than it actually is, and it's still a lot of in jokes. Right, it's still a lot of like film in jokes, but it's like a different culture now, right? So there's like 
the rise of Filipino American food, <laughs> um, Filipino Americans in in City Hall, and like yeah, so it's a, d a different world that they're speaking to, but still with that same sense of but we all know each other. It's a small town, and I think Joy Bisco is back as narrator. Right? Yes, she is. Yeah. Welcome to Fogtown, where over 60% of the population is Filipino. The second one I think is fun because they'll reference the first one to explain stuff. They'll have lines like, she would have known this if she had seen the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> there is a storyline with this new one. It involves lumpias that look like giant blunts. Can you confirm that the restaurant incident is the work of the so-called taquito man? What? This is the taquito everyone is talking about. It's not a taquito. It's lumpia, the Filipino egg roll. It turned into like a, a drug smuggling movie. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, so it's kind of a drug smuggling <laughs> movie with, with like super villains. The motives of the lumpia man are still unknown. I mean, in some it's like this is a true superhero movie. Like the, the previous one was kind of like barely a superhero movie, it just happened to have lumpia man. This one, like lumpia man is in it, but the superhero-ness of it is developed in so many other directions. Yeah. It's really good. It's really complicated. It's pretty complicated, yeah. And I feel like it has some pretty moving scenes about, you know, like how people change. These themes of like bullying, like what happens when you're bullied. The parents, they have a kid at a young age and, you know, people call her an accident. And what have they given up? And how, how does the kid feel about that? Like there's actually like really like intense scenes that I think because it's like revisiting characters from 20 years ago have a lot more resonance. I think it's also, I mean, the filmmakers have grown up too. Like if, if in the previous one, the main conflict is between the fobs and the Americanized people, which is like so juvenile. <laughs> Here now we have actual... Real like, life situations. Real, real life situations. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least ones that like aren't reduced as a stupid cultural cliches. I'm not saying the first one's stupid, but it's, you know, like juvenile um, cultural cliches. It's high school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this new one, just like, it's nostalgic for itself. Um, but it's also nostalgic for the movie ends with this, this the greatest Captain EO <laughs> homage. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, there's a great like Ross and Rachel joke, which I don't want to spoil. It's so good. You mentioned Joy Bisco returns as the narrator. So she's a narrator in sort of the way that like a comic book narrator serves. Like she's she's not in the movie. Her presence there reminds us of not just her presence in Lumpia, but for me it also reminds us of the debut. Yeah. It reminds us that there is this like larger ecosystem of Filipino American filmmaking, and when, one way we can think about this is as you know, like scrappy filmmakers, you have to pull favors from your friends and you make it at any cost. But another way, like a more fun way of thinking about this to me is universe building. Ah, this is world making, and this is this is the sci-fi. This this will make to me makes this properly in dialogue with sci-fi movies. Patricio Janelso with these two films is creating a universe. Yeah of characters that pop in and out, and that sometimes remind you of even films that like, is, that's not part of the Lumpia universe. Is the debut universe part of the Lumpia universe? Oh, I Just know. stuff like that. And how many universes do we get in Asian American cinema? It's this and Surrogate Valentine. Exactly, And right? H.P. Mendoza movies. <laughs> and, and, and just the, the joy that they take in, in that. I actually think that the Kickstarter campaign is part of that world making too. It's like, let's revisit this narrative. Let's see who still remembers it. Because in order to have a universe, you have to have audiences who get the references. And so the Kickstarter is actually a process in, in the creation of the universe. On top of that, he also created all these comic books yeah. that are tied to it. And so it's a universe that doesn't just exist in film, but also it's like a multimedia franchise. Oh, amazing. And then people get recast. 
<laughs> the way they still do, they do it in Marvel, like superhero movies. Yeah, like who's the new Spider-Man? Well, who's the new Filbert? <laughs> There's like one of the characters is the Fob high school friend who becomes a potential villain in the second one, and I, and a lot of the non-actors in the first film make cameos in the second film. But I think just because there's so many characters, sometimes I just kind of assumed it was the same person. But then the guy who played Filbert was like too good. I was like, how did this Filbert guy get so good? (laughs) So now that we have two actors playing Filbert, are you saying there could be a multiverse version of Lumpia? Maybe. I don't even know what you're talking about because I haven't seen any of the (laughs) Spider-Man. But I have seen like the memes of them pointing to each other. And yeah, I'm saying yes, even though I don't know what I'm talking about. So I think all of which is to say that these films are still my, like, Shang-Chi's, you know, like, I really uh, admire it and I appreciate that. This is your favorite superhero movie? Favorite Asian-American superhero movie? I mean, does everything everywhere all at once count? Yeah, Michelle Leo's not really a superhero. I I realize that we're, we're like, favorite of three. (laughs) But I prefer the universe created by and for Asian-Americans. April Absinthe, who's the star of the new movie, like, I want to see her in like every movie. Yeah. I feel like she's also compensating a bit because the first Lumpia is not great with women. Yeah, yeah. The first movie is a boy movie. It's a total bro movie. And maybe part of that growing up for them is also like, hey, like what if we made both the hero and the villain women and show like the range of different kinds of superhero personalities that we can have. It's kind of like what could they have done if they had money, resources, and perhaps a little bit more life experience. <laughs> just just a little bit more. You still have the um, important peeing jokes. Oh, there's there's peeing all over in this movie. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about the Boscos. Darian Boscos. AJ Raphael is in it too, right? Yeah, a lot of cameos. James Lontayo. Oh, I might be pronouncing his name wrong. That's the new Philbert. <laughs> a real a real thespian. Mark Munoz, who is a like UFC champion, oh. is is in this film. So it's also yeah, it's it's acknowledging the wider cultural impact and presence that Filipino Americans have, especially in 2020 when this film comes out. That's different than in 1996. What did you think about Lumpia? And I'm talking about the um, physical Lumpia as a weapon in the first movie compared to the second movie. I guess in the second one. I don't think as much about Lumpia. Like, like it's, the first one is very much a gimmick. This whole thing is premised around like playing with your food. Whereas in Lumpia the Vengeance is now, like, like fights aren't really dependent on what happens to Lumpia in quite the same way. But you're talking about the actual materiality of the Lumpia? Yeah, yeah, the, the special effects, yeah. Oh, I mean, it still looks ridiculous. <laughs> but it's interesting because there's like a um, sniper scene. Oh, But yeah. then the target is hit with the Lumpia and um, it's kind of like, oh, is it blood or is it just the sauce? <laughs> and then you're kind of like, is he dead or just hit by Lumpia? <laughs> but the greatest thing is like, I don't know if it's sounding like I was taken out of the movie. I was not taken out of the movie. It enhanced the movie. Let's not forget the Lumpia versus Taquito fight. <laughs> it's not taking itself seriously the way like FOB versus American Filipinos are in, in the first one. But like, there's a little bit of cultural clash between Filipino and Mexican fried rolled foods. And this is where Danny Trejo enters. <laughs> in the first one, the lumpias look yummier because it's less digital. All practical effects here. <laughs> so the first lumpia film is available on DVD. You can find it on Amazon. Um, they remastered it for its 10th anniversary. 
I'm not sure what the remastering, like how different it is from the original. Because so much of the joy is that it looks like it was shot in a camcorder. It looks like, you know what? Nowadays, it just looks like a TikTok video. <laughs> like a long TikTok video. Like the charm of TikTok. Yeah, the kind of like homemade ingenuity. Yeah, like you didn't have a lot to work with, but you made it work. Right. And then uh, Lupi with the Vengeance. It world premiered, I think, at the Hawaii International Film Festival in 2020. But it's still playing festivals. I was just on its website and, yeah, I just played Chicago Asian American Showcase. It's still going around and I'm pretty sure it's going to end up on streaming. Yeah, I genuinely enjoyed Lumpia with a Vengeance. I did too, largely because of the joy of being able to reference back to a classic of Asian American cinema. Everyone else gets to be nostalgic for their own movies. What's like with everything everywhere all at once is sort of like, it's sort of a nostalgia for Short Round. Yeah. But Short Round is... Like a character in the most racist Hollywood movie of the last four years. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd, I'd rather be nostalgic for a homegrown DIY philanthropy movie. No more! Fogtown will remember me! Taquito boy! Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Set School. Class dismissed. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.